0: Welcome to the Beyond 28 podcast presented by Chase, a show designed to keep the conversation around black history going all year long. We're going to continue to celebrate the excellence, the joy, and the love that is black culture and the black community. Each month, a new episode will explore the influence and impact black people not only have made historically, but also continue to make each and every day. I'm your host, Mark J. Spears. So kick back and relax as we get right into it. This month on Beyond 28, we are celebrating Women's Empowerment Month, looking at those paving the way for women in social activism and sports in the Bay Area community and beyond. In our Beyond the Court segment, we'll hear from Afatasi, the artist, a Bay Area artist who is using her work to spark social change. In our Center Court segment, we will talk to Liz Mills, the head coach of the Basketball Africa League's A.S. Sali. She's the first female head coach of the men's team in Morocco and the Arab world. I'm your host, Mark Spears from ESPN's Anscape, and this is Beyond 28. In our next segment, we had the pleasure of talking to Afatasi the Artist. Afatasi is a native of San Francisco whose work focuses on the exploration of the intersectionality of race, culture, gender, class, and the geopolitics in the gentrifying San Francisco Bay Area. We're going to learn about how her upbringing in the city influences her art and how she wants to pop the notion that San Francisco is a liberal utopia. Welcome back to Beyond 28. We have another special edition for you. You know, I'm excited to talk to this woman because she is the definition of unique. I always feel like to bring a spotlight to yourself in a crowded field, you have to differentiate yourself from everybody else. And uh, Afatasi, the artist, has definitely done that. If you're not familiar with her work, you will soon be familiar with her work and the uniqueness of her beautiful work. Welcome, Afatasi to Beyond 28.
1: Happy to be here.
0: For those who haven't seen it, give me a detail of your art. Explain to people what makes it so unique.
1: I think it's unique because I just really create what I feel and I create what I feel needs to exist in the world. My art is produced through various mediums. I'm a muralist, so I have some murals that are up in the city. I'm also a designer. My main art uh, initially was tapestry. So I create fine art tapestries and I, I create clothing. I just branched out to other things because I was always just experimenting and really just trying to push the envelope of what I was doing. So my art is anything that I feel needs to be out in the world. In your
0: mixed media place, Black Space, you explore the myth of San Francisco being a liberal oasis through an afuturism lens. Can you tell us more about the work And how that concept reflects how you see the city of San Francisco.
1: One thing that I just want to make abundantly clear is that I love being from San Francisco. Like, I love being able to say that. You know, I love being from here. So I'm going to criticize the things that I have witnessed, the things that I have observed, and the ways in which the city has been complicit to the plight of Black San Franciscans. We are the only shrinking demographic in this city. I remember as a little girl, my father caring about black economics and taking us all the way from Lakeview to the Fillmore to support black businesses. I used to be like, we have a McDonald's down the street. Why do we have to go all the way out here for barbecue? You know, like I used to think that as a child. But my father really instilled the importance of supporting your people economically in me as a child. With that being said, the city of San Francisco has been absolutely complicit to the removal of people I grew up with, my friends that I went to school with that are no longer here and I don't have relationships with just based off of proximity. And I don't like it. And the way that it was done was illegal. As someone who's from here, I've encountered in my adulthood many people who are not from here. When they meet me and they're like, oh, where are you from? There's just kind of this assumption that I'm not from here. And and that's fine. And I said, oh, I was born and raised here. And they're like, wow, you're the first Black person that I've met that was born and raised here. And so I create the art because, you know, the costuming in Black space is original and it's beautiful to look at. So I already knew with the costumes that I made in that, that I had the audience's attention. So if you have the audience's attention, what is it that you're really trying to convey? So these Afronauts were placed in strategic points in the city where Black people were removed, where we were minimized, and where there are still traces of us. To let people know, we still exist. We have a deep-rooted history, a legacy in this city. A black man created the first public school with his own money in San Francisco. William Alexander Leisdorf owned most of the financial district. That was never taught to me as a child growing up here. Mary Ellen Pleasant, did you even know that the Underground Railroad ran all the way to San Francisco? funded entirely by a black woman, Marilyn Pleasant. She doesn't have a school named after her, but she has the smallest park in San Francisco. I'm talking about space, black space as a actual means of like where we're going in the future, right? Where these business people are getting blasted off into space. I'm talking about that as a future, but I'm also talking about the actual spaces that we're allotted, like legacy, you know, like landmarks like our landmarks of space as well. So part of me is very angry that the erasure and the minimization of Black San Franciscans and prominent Black San Franciscans, like these are people who literally fought for civil rights for all people in California. And so that Black space is really really about making other San Franciscans aware of our rich history and legacy. And also when you come here, tread lightly we helped build the city too. And so you may not see us, but we're still here and we're taking up space.
0: We're talking to Afatasi, the artist, the great artist, the woke artist, the dope artist. She's breaking it down. My last question for you, and you've been amazing. Thank you for all your knowledge. How do you see the future of Black art and expression evolving in years to come?
1: I've been really inspired to see like younger people because I think like my generation of people just didn't see ourselves in these creative lanes. It was always about the politics of respectability, which I did for a long time. And now I don't anymore. What I mean by that is I am very optimistic and hopeful and I see a lot of younger people really diving in deep into the arts I really love seeing that. I really love, like I scroll through like my Instagram and I'm like, oh man, like this person's like shooting a music video and, and, you know, or does he see whole productions? And it's not just like in film, it's in like all fields, young people just pursuing their passions and not subscribing to what society has and what American society really has tried to relegate us to.
0: Well, Afatasi, thank you for your education and thank you for being on Beyond 28.
1: Yes, thank you for having me.
0: Our next guest is Liz Mills, who is the head coach of the Basketball Africa League's A.S. Sali, becoming the first female head coach of a men's team in Morocco, the Arab world and in the Basketball Africa League. Liz, who is a native of Australia, grew up with a love of playing basketball and learning the ins and outs of the game. That passion drew her into the world of coaching but also brought her to the Basketball Africa League. We're going to talk to her about growing up playing basketball and the struggles she went through to find her place as a coach in a male-dominated field. Welcome to another episode of Beyond 28 and I'm excited about this episode. Can you have one of your favorite people in sports that you just met? Is that possible? <laughs> I want to welcome head coach from AS Salé. I want to give her her flowers. This is the first woman's head coach in the Arab world. It's one of the first women head coaches in Africa. She is the first woman's head coach in the Basketball Africa League. And she also is the only woman's head coach in the NBA umbrella that doesn't include the WNBA, which we'll get into whether she thinks that's a good or bad thing or both. Welcome to Beyond 28, the amazing head coach, Liz Mills. How you doing, coach?
2: What a warm welcome, Mark. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. I had a great time with you in Senegal last week, and I'm excited to sit down for this interview.
0: Got cleared to go to the Basketball Africa League, which uh, started on March 5th in Dakar, Senegal, and to explain to people the uh, Basketball Africa League is now in its second season, actually should be its third, but the first season was postponed due to pandemic. And the NBA decided that they wanted to start a new league, which is more, more so a tournament in Africa because they are investing in the future of African basketball players in the future. I uh, think this is going to be the top spot uh, for international prospects and also have some confidence in the business part of uh, growth in Africa. So they started this league led by Amadou Fall, who I actually played with in college at the University of District of Columbia. It's a 12-team league. Now, this season, it's split into two conferences. Six teams played already uh, in in Dakar, Senegal, which includes Coach Mills' team. And then another six are about to go play in Cairo, Egypt. Top four advance, Coach Mills, A.S. Saleh, they advanced. And um, they will go to the playoffs at the end of May in Kigali, Rwanda. So that's kind of just a Cliff Notes version of the league. I heard about Coach Mills about a month before the league. I think there was this tweet about her getting the job, and I was excited about it. It was interesting. Like the second day I was there, I go to this panel discussion that they were having about respecting women with the players from the Basketball Africa League and keeping your hands and your comments to yourself. One of the few women in the venue... Was coach and I, I recognized her immediately. She's a very recognizable person. And I just quickly said hello to her. And we we had a nice conversation the next day. She has this presence about her. She wears boots, but she also has this amazing basketball mind. It's certainly more than deserving for the position. So I guess after all that, I wanted to ask you what was the experience like coaching in the Basketball Africa League? And how different is it now in terms of the respect that you got versus before when you were first becoming a head coach in Africa?
2: I think having to sit out the first season of the Basketball Africa League made me a little bit stir-crazy and jealous. And so getting the opportunity to coach in the second edition this year felt very rewarding and exciting to be there. And I think with the NBA's presence, it just elevates what used to be a FIBA club championship tournament to a more professional, structured, well-organized machine, basically, that we're entering when we go into these tournaments that are now the Basketball Africa League. It was very different from any other tournament in Africa that I've participated in, be that with national teams or club teams previously. The level of exposure that players, teams, coaches are getting from participating is amazing. To touch on your point, in terms of the level of my exposure coaching in this league, It has brought my name more outside of Africa. I've been coaching in Africa for 10 years. And so for them, I'm old news. It's just like, Oh, coach Liz is here, you know, nothing new. But in terms of raising my profile outside of Africa, it's been huge to be able to have an opportunity to sit down with a journalist of your caliber. For example, is something that I would never have imagined, you know, this time last year. And I think that level of exposure raises the awareness around female coaches and the opportunities that they are provided. And if we can talk about that, we can raise awareness about that, then it's all worth it.
0: Coach, I want to take you back to your first dreams of being a head coach. Who were your early inspirations?
2: Oh, easily without doubt, that would be Carrie Graff. She's a Australian uh, coach who has coached in the WNBL in Australia and in the WNBA, as well as coached the Australian women's team so I was about 10 years old and I was watching the WNBL and I saw Coach Graf marching up and down the sideline. She's in a power suit and she became one of Australia's most successful coaches and she just dominated and she was coaching stars like Lauren Jackson and uh, won numerous titles both in the WNBL, the WNBA and medals for at the Olympics and World Championships. And so I think when I was 10, I saw a female head coach like that and that planted a seed in my mind. I had never thought about, you're 10 years old, you're thinking about playing, right? You're not thinking about, oh, I want to be a coach one day. But I started playing basketball at 15, and I was tapped on the shoulder, my twin sister and I, and a male coach said, you two have leadership capabilities, we want to see if you can coach. I think always in the back of my mind, I remembered Coach Graff, and I said to myself, well, if she can do it, I can do it.
0: When did you start first believing that, all right, I could coach men? On a professional level, were there any initial fears about getting into this world?
2: Well, to be honest, I had never thought about it. In Australia, you're a female coach, you coach juniors, boys and girls, predominantly girls, and you coach women. There's no pathway, there's no social acceptance that I'm just a coach and I can coach whoever I want. And so when I was in Zambia in 2011, I was invited to a preseason tournament and it was only men's teams playing and a friend of mine was like, I'll just come and watch. And I had no intention of, of doing any coaching while I was in Zambia. I was there on a holiday. I watched the tournament over two days and I really liked this team called Heroes Play United. They didn't win the opening tournament. They came in middle of the pack and I was like, yo, I think I might go and see if I can run a training session with these guys. And that was actually when I first thought, you know what, who cares if I'm a woman? All I can do is ask, ask the question. And it's up to that club president to look at me and go, well, she has A, B and C, why can't she coach? And I was really lucky because Maziko Peary, who was the club president at the time, had worked for the World Bank and was very open-minded. And he didn't see me as a female coach. He just saw me as a coach from Australia who has produced numerous great coaches and players. And he's like, I'll give you an hour. And so that turned into me running the full session, coming back the next day, and I head coached that team to a national title in 2011, 2012. And, you know, since then, I've gone on to head coach numerous club teams and been an assistant coach for national teams and head coach Kenyan's national team last year at Afro Basket. So I think once I got over that initial hurdle, I never actually thought about, oh, this is a men's team. I'm just coaching basketball.
0: What were some of your biggest hurdles? Not only, I guess, sexism or some mean-spirited things you dealt with, but also some people that just were so shocked that you were in that position that they treated you a certain way, not knowing any better.
2: Yes. Oh, look, there's been plenty of sexism and discrimination. I was 24 when I first started coaching in Africa. And so Gender, age, inexperience, this was all used against me. And my first tournament in Mozambique, people had a huge issue with me wearing my boots. Apparently, I'm going to scratch the floor. You know, I'm just going to trail my foot right across and leave some scratch marks because, heavens forbid, no basketball player has ever done that. And so, you know, I had to change my shoes because they were upset about it. I've been called a water girl. Why is your water girl warming up the team? And then when I was in Cameroon with the Kenyan national team last year for Afro Basket qualifiers, I went to put my bag and my whiteboard down on the head coaching chair and I had a lady from the Cameroon Federation rush up to me and say, oh, no, no, this is for the head coach. And she pointed at my male assistant and was like, no no for him. And so I he actually responded cuz I was laughing. And um he's like no no she's she's the head coach. And so you know that wasn't necessarily mean-spirited. That was just she'd never seen it before. You know, she came up to me after the tournament and she apologized profusely and said she can't wait to see me back in Cameroon and and hopes to see more female coaches. And so I don't necessarily see any of the mean spiritness or the catty comments anymore in Africa. If anything, I get it more across my social media from outside just because it's such a rarity. But when I'm in Africa now, it doesn't happen. If anything, the question is, if I'm not at a tournament, where is Coach Liz? Because I've just been embraced by that basketball community so well. And. I now use any of those situations that happen very rarely now, I use it as an education situation where I can open someone's mind and try and get them to think in a different way. I used to get really riled up about it and now I've just got to be cool, calm and collected.
0: Explain to everybody the symbol that your boots represent because, uh, you know, I was at the games in the car and that was certainly, it's like part of your uniform, right? It's like your superhero cape, so to speak, that you wear these black boots.
2: It's like my armor sometimes, to be honest. So I started wearing these about 10 years ago. I remember, like I mentioned, Coach Carrie Graff would wear a power suit when she was coaching. And I was like, yes, well, I want to bring that level of professionalism. I want to look like I'm here to work. And I also want to remind people that, yes, I'm a woman, and I'm proud to be a woman, and I'm proud to be leading this team, and so that's my little feministic touch to my uniform.
0: We got to get you a, a boot deal. I know Liliana, for those <laughs> those boot companies listening, like hook up Coach Mills. You need you need to get her that bag, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I
2: need a different set of boots for each game
0: <laughs> <laughs> with your own symbol on it, right? Uh huh. L M on the side, hundred percent,
2: hundred percent.
0: Look, I know you've probably had a lot of special moments too, Mm -hmm. but I want you to tell the story about the tap on the shoulder that you got before your, your first game in the Basketball Africa League.
2: Oh, yes, yes. Okay, so just finished up training and we're required to stay around for the first game and be at the opening ceremony. And so I decided I'd, instead of, you know, waiting an hour for the game to start, I'd go outside and walk around the stadium and, you know, see what kind of fans were coming through and just, you know, taking a quiet moment away from the team. And I get a tap on the shoulder and I turn around and, I, like, and I'm in a mask. I'm not wearing Sally, i I'm not wearing any, any of my usual, you know, coaching gear. And a lady taps me on the shoulder and I turn around and she's there with her two young daughters. And she says, are you Coach Mills? And I'm like, yes, yes, uh, that's me. She's like, I saw you and I, I didn't want to disturb you, but my two daughters really want to meet you. They look up to you so much. And she said, we're only here to watch you coach. We love basketball, but we want to see you coaching in this tournament. And I said, well, you better come back tomorrow then because that's game day for us. And it was a very touching and emotional moment because you know, after facing all the challenges over the last 10 years, it's these moments that really... Resonate. And when things become really hard, these are the moments that you remember and motivate you to keep going. And she said that her two daughters wanted to be coaches like me when they grow up. Being a role model and inspiring the next generation of girls and young women is just, is something that I take more seriously than winning or losing the game. Being able to represent women to the highest caliber that I'm capable of and inspiring those young girls to coach. And even if they don't end up coaching, just putting in that thought in their mind that they can be and do whatever they want to do in life.
0: Tell me what Africa means to you. From my conversations with you, like Africa's like a piece of your heart. Like Africa gave you the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I do think that as your profile grows, there could be some MBA interest. There could be some American college interest. But your heart, mm-hmm. to me... Maybe I'm overstating it. It appears to be with not only African basketball, but the continent itself. Mm -hmm. Am am I I saying too much? No,
2: you're 100% right. I may have been born in Australia, but my heart belongs to Africa. Like you mentioned, I wouldn't have had any of these opportunities anywhere else in the world. And as a result, I've put my heart and soul into developing basketball on the continent and promoting African basketball where, wherever I can. And I think there's so much talent. There's so much potential. These players are coachable. I think any coach out there who is looking to, you know, break break the boundary, break the box that you're in, Africa is the perfect place to coach. You will develop not only as a coach, but as a person. And this this Western idea of what Africa is like, you know, mud huts, everybody disease ridden. You've just been to Dhaka, So, you know, that's completely not the case. And the people are beautiful. They're super friendly. They're genuine. Like with all countries in the world, everybody has issues. Everybody is dealing with their thing. But in terms of culture, history, animals, wildlife, the landscape, I could go, well, I could have a podcast just about Africa, to be honest. And so I feel that The tidal wave of African talent is about to crash on the world. And I said that in one of my press conferences. It might not be in the next five years, but it is coming. And I really see with, you know, the Basketball Africa League investing, there'll be other people investing across the continent. The rest of the world needs to be careful because the talent is coming through. And the Basketball Africa League, I have no doubt in 10 to 20 years, is going to rival some of the best competitions across the globe.
0: Well, Coach, when a Disney movie comes out on you, hire me as a consultant. I just want to come on as a consultant, you know. My coach, I love you. Please keep in touch with me. And thank you for coming on Beyond 28. And I'm excited to see the growth and stardom that is coming for you.
2: Well, I appreciate you and Beyond 28 having me on the show. And hopefully after playoffs, we can jump on and have another chat.
0: Yes, ma'am. Good luck. Win that championship in Basketball Africa League in about a month, Coach
2: definitely thanks mark
0: thanks coach that's all the time we have today on beyond 28 i want to thank our guests liz mills and Alpha tassi the artists if you like what you heard and haven't already done so please go to the beyond 28 page and apple podcast and give us five stars it makes a huge difference i'm your host mark spears from espn's anscape thanks for listening